Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. I am re- recording this with my new microphone, so we'll see if it sounds any better or not. But I hope so. I've been kind of messing around with the settings, so it may be a little bit before I actually get the settings correctly, and it sounds good. But yeah, let's get started. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 171 through 173, which will be covering manga chapters 260 to 264. As we enter the third act of the Skypiea arc, we begin to see many of the heavy hitters converge on the center of the island while we get some further world building and history from Robin's perspective. So, starting off with the synopsis, as everyone begins to make their way to the center of the island towards NL's shrine at the top of the giant jack, the strongest or the luckiest have managed to survive so far. They begin an all out brawl at the summit of the massive beanstalk with Ohm's steel ordeal waiting for them. All the while, Nami and Isa unfortunately find themselves mixed up in a frenzy after being chased by the giant snake, while Luffy is completely lost while stuck inside of the snake itself, wreaking havoc for everyone else. So, the differences. So, there aren't very many, like, specifically lots of differences or individual ones, but there's one really big one. And so, all of Robin's scenes exploring the ruins of Shandora. Are consolidated into this one episode in 174. So in the manga, these moments actually take place in very small snippets strewn about the entire conflict with Ohm, Wiper, Gumfall, and the snake and everything. And you only see these little snippets just like inserted every now and then from chapters 266 to 272. So this runs like it's supposed to like be inserted within like maybe the next even six or seven episodes where you see like small snippets of Robin doing all this. And it ultimately culminates where,、um, where they all meet up later on. But this episode does a smart thing where it consolidates all of this into one episode, in making it one narrative, which actually makes it much easier to follow and also much more like, enjoyable to watch because you get to see Robin's entire journey through this without it being cut up. And I also like that the fights are less interrupted as well because. A lot of Zoro's fights are interrupted with these scenes of Robin. So it's be- kind of become this like reverse problem of what Toei does with the anime. But instead, Oda decided to do this in the manga. I guess it's because he just didn't have time, but he also wanted to make it so that I guess time flowed similarly with Robin as it did with everybody else, since these t- technically are supposed to be taking place concurrently at the same time. The other two smaller differences that I could find, aside from some more、uh, scene shuffling, is with Zoro actually. So, in the anime, we actually get to see Zoro eating his lunch, and that we get to see that、uh, scene play out where the South Bird sees Zoro eating lunch, and then Zoro actually like, munches down on it even faster to not give the South Bird any of its food. So, in the manga, this actually is just really one panel with like, no dialogue, nothing. We just see Zoro sort of munching down on his lunch with the South Bird in the background. And it's sort of like this montage panel of like what's happening at the time.、Um, and so, yeah, we don't actually get that scene. So it's nice that they extended this scene out. And then the last one is we get a few more scenes of Zoro versus Ohm、uh, in the beginning of it. In particular, there's a change in how the tension is built in one particular scene. So, right after they cut to Luffy falling down the snake stomach, yelling, I don't like this anymore, or more, yada. <laughs> and then, and then, so in the anime, it slowly moves back to Zoro as he. Avoids a punch from Holly or Holy, and then you see Ohm uses Eisen Whip to slash Zoro in the gut. 
However, in the manga, Oda uses this as an opportunity to build some suspense as to what Ohm's actual ability is. So in the manga, instead of seeing that sequence that I just described, it immediately cuts to the panel where Zoro's kind of doubled over with his wound in his gut. And we're left wondering what actually hit Zoro because at this point, we know that Holy doesn't use his fangs or claws. And he's, Zoro's also very much aware of the barbed wire traps. And so you're thinking, what could he have actually been slashed by? And it's not until later do we actually see the revelation of Ohm's main attack, the Aizen Whip Sword. And it's uh, it's kind of a bigger surprise. But, I mean, ultimately, in, even in the manga, you see it only like a few pages later. So it's not really that huge of a change. But it is interesting how they decided to sort of forego that sort of reveal in, in favor of a more earlier reveal. All right, so let's get into these episodes. So we begin with episode 174, which is a completely Robin-centric episode, which is awesome. The episode starts with picking up with Robin versus Yama, and this is our first taste of Robin in a one-on-one -on -one fight with an opponent. And kind of a spoiler, but I just want to rip the band-aid off for you, not to get your expectations up. This will actually be the last one-on-one -on -one fight for Robin for a very, very long time, unfortunately. But yeah, the fight starts off with Robin struggling quite a bit with trying to deal with Yama's brute strength and blatant disregard for the preservation of the ruins all around them. And this is really good character writing as it informs in an exciting way just how committed to historical preservation Robin really is. That she would go so far as to put her own body on the line to try and protect these historical artifacts and sites. I particularly love that line she gives to Yama that history repeats itself but we can't go back to the past. Which is basically another way of sort of interpreting the old adage, if we don't learn from our past we're doomed to repeat it. And what Robin is saying here is that because history tends to repeat regardless and since we're unable to go back into the past, if we destroy our history we'll never be able to learn from it. And I feel like here we're finally starting to see what makes Robin tick and what actually motivates her. Because up until now, she's been a very guarded and mysterious person in who she truly is as a, as a, you know, as a character. And so it's nice to see a genuine moment from her here and throughout the rest of this episode. And probably the most significant thing in this entire episode when it comes to Robin's character is that up till now, she had basically thought she had lost her dream and to a certain extent her will to live. And by being forced to live and joining Luffy, she'd slowly been able to rediscover her dream and, and her will to live as there appears to be hope that her dream is still achievable now that she's found all this new information in Skypiea. And yeah, she just wasn't looking in the right place. And these two themes will go on to play a huge role in her development in future arcs. Getting back to the fight itself, we see that Robin was only getting beat up because she was more concerned with the ruins than the actual fight. And once she gets to a clearing, she unleashes her powers and it's pretty terrifying, just as it was during her Baroque works days. And one interesting thing to note that stood out to me is that there does seem to be a limit to the strength of the blossoming arms she has, as she mentions how straining it is to swing Yama into the tree. And by the end of the fight, I'm pretty sure <laughs> Yama is dead. I mean, Robin's ruthless assassin ways are still very much present, as not only does she do her trademark crutch attack, but then sends him careening off like a 100-foot cliff headfirst into the ground. Like, I don't care how tough Yama is, she broke, her, she broke his back and then slapped him into the ground headfirst off of a cliff. Like, I don't know how you're surviving that. Robin then makes her way back to the ruins and eventually comes upon the lost city of Shandora buried beneath the cloud ground. And that big reveal of the city of Shandora is pretty cool in and of itself. 
I always wondered if she expends more or less energy as she uses her arms to carry those clouds to dig up that hole to discover Shandora. And I mean, maybe the clouds are just more or less weightless because, you know, they're clouds. But yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And to Robin's surprise, she finds another poneglyph in the city's ruins. And within its writings, she finds a clue about a golden bell, which is what Nolan references in his logbook. And she excitedly hypothesizes that the city fell after trying to protect the Great Golden Bell because it possibly contains a poneglyph with the text of the real history. And this might actually lead her to her ultimate goal of finding the real poneglyph, which has been her dream, as she mentioned earlier in Alabasta. And I really like that this is what, like, drives her to reinvigorate her passion for her dream and you can really hear it in her voice too you know Yamaguchi Yuriko does an amazing job voicing that sort of like calm but excitedness in her voice because Robin for the most part has been very stoic in terms of her portrayal and her voice intonation like you rarely ever see her express too great of emotion she sometimes gets angry but very rarely will you ever see her deviate from her normal, like, very calm expression, which which is what makes her, like, those dark statements even funnier is because she says it in the same tone as she would say any other normal thing. In the next episode, we now move back to Chopper, the other straw hat in the search party, to be able to actually make it to the city ruins, and we see him very adorably climb up Giant Jack with his tongue sticking out. I really find this image really cute for some reason. I mean, I know why. It, it was designed to be cute, but yeah, it's a, it's a really cute image. However, once he does get to the perch of the giant Jack, who's waiting for him but yet another priest? And I mean, good lord. Chopper just can't catch a break as he has now run into three out of the four priests at this point, and it is a horrifying running joke for him. I, I know, and I think Oda did this on purpose, but I'm not sure why. I think it's maybe to build Chopper up a little bit so that he gets a little bit more toughness. Because I think, you know, up until now, even Chopper states it himself that he's been a little sheltered by the stronger members of the crew. But unfortunately for him this time, it's Ohm and his dog Holy who are probably the strongest of the four priests. And similar to his other priests, Ohm is incredibly self-righteous and starts spouting philosophical nonsense about how people's desire and greed causes their own death. So it's better for them to have done nothing and be dead to begin with, <laughs> which is like Thanos-esque like levels of self-righteousness but very in keeping with with the character of being a servant to NL, who is the ultimate self-righteous mania. There is one moment that I really love in this scene, though. So he offers to save Chopper, but then immediately turns around and tells him, if you're dead, then you'll desire nothing. And Chopper's terrified reaction, he's like, he has no plans to save me. <laughs> it's freaking hilarious. I love... I love how he says, <laughs> It's just so funny. But with that, Chopper eventually realizes he has to run or else he's going to be killed for sure this time. And I know this seems like a contradiction from his development of not running from fights earlier, but sometimes the smart play is to retreat. In this case, I think that is a smart thing to do and is very warranted because A, he's outnumbered 2 to 1. And also, Chopper has taken a considerable amount of damage in both his fights with Shura and more recently with Giddats, which happened as recently as a couple hours ago, I'm assuming. And it just makes sense for him to to not stand and fight if he doesn't have to because he's at a clear disadvantage right now. And so, yeah, I don't think this is an issue in terms of like him going back on his character growth. But unfortunately for Chopper, though, 
Ohm finds him, and Chopper falls victim to Ohm's steel ordeal and is mortally wounded somehow. And you really feel for the poor guy at this point. He's been through so much, and to get this brutally attacked is pretty hard to watch as he just goes white-eyed. And this scene is just, yeah, it's pretty terrible for Chopper. But make, it makes the later scene of when Zoro finds him all the more impactful. During all this with Chopper and Ohm, it cuts to Lucky finding a fried Kamakiri still somehow alive and pleads with Lucky to warm Wiper about NL's strength. And this scene right after this, it's interesting to me because Lucky finally reveals NL's devil fruit as the Gorogoro no Mi. And she also reveals that these elemental type lo- um, fruits are called Logia types which describe the most powerful type of the devil fruits. And one thing I'll say is I'm so glad I can finally call these Logia fruits now instead of having to keep referring them as elemental fruits And now that this term has been introduced in the series because, boy, it has been annoying to have to refer to these things even though I've been referring to them as Logia fruits for more than 10 years now. I keep having to sort of hold myself back. But anyways, yeah. So Gorogoro no Mi, um, that essentially is just an automatopoeia for how um, thunder it sounds in Japanese. Like whenever whenever in Japanese uh, we describe the sound that, that thunder and lightning make, we, we'd say it's, you know, there's, it's, it goes goro goro. So that's where that comes from. And in English, it's, I believe, translated as rumble rumble fruit, which it actually fits pretty well. As we catch up with Zoro, on the other hand, he has his own trying journey of trying to navigate the forest with his atrocious sense of direction. He somehow makes his way all the way back to the sacrificial altar in in a giant circle. And during all this, he has been hilariously followed by a big south bird who has been following Zoro and eyeing his food that he was eating earlier. And one thing that always gets a laugh out of me is Zoro's stubborn dislike of Sanji. (laughs) So when he pulls out the lunch that Sanji made for everyone, the food obviously looks delicious and you know it tastes great. But because it's Sanji who made it, Zoro just kind of begrudgingly says it's (laughs) alright. He won't even, even in complete privacy, he won't give Sanji his due. But the big south bird seeing Zoro's food, but then Zoro just like eating all of it right away so that he doesn't have to give it away. The south bird thinks that his backpack contains more food, so he tries to take it, but then Zoro (laughs) grabs his backpack, and then they all just go flying away. And I love Kazuya Nakai's, like, screaming. It's so funny. Like, I don't know why, but it's like, Zoro, obviously, he's he's known for that very, like, stoic and and gruff, you know, sound that he has. But then when you see him just, like, (laughs) comically screaming, like, it's just so funny. We also then move back to the Going Merry, and after hearing Chopper being taken out with her mantra, Aisa can no longer sit idly by anymore and tries to run off to help her friends. But Nami's maternal instincts sort of kick in here, and she can't let Aisa go off on on her own and just basically to die. As Nami calms Aisa down and gets aboard the waiver, the giant snake appears in front of them, visibly in distress from Luffy going wild and pounding inside its stomach from earlier. With Luffy now completely frustrated as he just starts to go wild inside the the snake to try and get out of the mysterious cave that he he thinks he's in, the snake just goes nuts and starts to chase after the two through the forest. And I absolutely love how Oda chooses to... um, 
portray Luffy going crazy inside the snake as a snake sort of like having a terrible stomach bug. And you see it like exhausted and looking sick as it as just before it sees Nami and Aisa, it's trying to drink water to relax his stomach, giving it a sort of like intelligence and human-like quality. And another thing I wanted to mention about this whole Luffy in the snake thing, like I mentioned in the last podcast, it's a creative way of keeping Luffy out of the action to create that sort of suspense. Uh, suspense of Luffy not being available but with the snake always being close by with what's happening on the ground Luffy is still very much a part of the story by hiding him in the snake it's kind of a real genius move and in addition Luffy's antics inside the snake is just absolutely ridiculous and so funny especially later on when he starts like tickling the, (laughs) the the inside of the snake by rubbing a rock on it thinking that maybe he could dig himself out of the cave. It's just so funny how everybody around the snake is just like, is that the giant snake laughing? (laughs) And during all this commotion, Zoro and the South Bird are then attacked as well by the giant snake, but in a comical bid for self-preservation, the South Bird decides to drop Zoro to distract the snake and escape. And while all this is happening, Wiper makes it all the way up to Ohm's territory, along with Gunfall, who had just come down from the God's Shrine, discovering the devastation that NL left in his wake. Both make it to the middle of the giant jack to find Ohm, and they're both looking for information on where to find NL. Then, almost as abruptly, Zoro lands immediately in the same location as all four of, or as the rest of the three of them, which is lucky for him because had he been left to his own devices, he probably would have ended up back on Jaya unexpectedly. So Zoro finally makes his way into the thick of the action. This episode now ends with the four of them in a showdown, and a brawl breaks out between the four of them, with at least Zoro and Gonfall kind of friendly towards each other, but the other two parties are definitely against them. And there's this cool wide shot of all of them staring each other down with the snake in the background and yeah it's a really cool two-page spread in the manga as well i feel like i don't know i feel like before the advent of the widescreen era of one piece like these big shots aren't quite they don't quite have the impact that they do in the manga or once they have the hd sort of widescreen uh, aspect ratio so but this one still manages to capture that And we get a brief tussle of Zoro fighting Wiper. And just as he did with Luffy, he holds his own against Zoro as well. But this fight ultimately gets interrupted with the snake. After which, he then gets attacked by Holy and Ohm. With Holy, Oda manages to inject his trademark absurdish jokes by having the dog, instead of attacking using its fangs and claws like you'd expect a normal giant dog to, it instead uses martial arts and punches, and and it attempts to punch Zoro. Even Zoro is like, isn't there a limit to how much a breeder can train a dog? However, while trying to avoid Ohm's steel ordeal, which is essentially traps of barbed wire made of cloud steel strewn about the battlefield, Zoro finds Chopper's wounded body. And he stumbles over it. And it's kind of chilling the level of shock and concern he has for Chopper as he's trying to understand why Chopper was even here alone to begin with. As we've seen up till now, Zoro especially has taken to be sort of a big brother figure to Chopper and feels a little responsible for not being around to protect him. So this particularly hits him hard. And yeah, this serves as a nice kind of a nice payoff to all those um setups since um basically drum where zoro is sort of being the sort of mentor slash big big brother figure to chopper and you see this relationship develop and how close they've become although this next scene i love how zoro responds to this though as a true disciplined swordsman he doesn't lose his his cool and even when Ohm asks if he wants revenge, Zoro just calmly and epically responds, I don't really like fighting for that sort of reason, but I am starting to get fired up. And I'm like, ah! 
<laughs> Zoro, I mean, he gets all the coolest freaking lines. Like, how freaking epic is that? It's also a nice contrast to Luffy, who is all about raging and getting strength that way. Zoro is sort of his antithesis in staying cool all the time, which is what makes them such an awesome and dynamic pair. Even though you don't get to see them fight together, it's nice to see like Luffy being, you know, that sort of fiery, raging type of fighter, whereas Zoro is sort of this cool and calm and collected fighter. It's just really awesome to see. And Zoro, man, he gets some of the best freaking lines in the entire series and why he's easily one of my favorite or is my favorite character in the entire series. Once they begin to do battle, Ohm starts showcasing why he's probably the strongest priest of the four, and he shows off his true power with that use of the sword that, that's made of cloud steel. It acts as a ranged attacking whip sword. This revelation setting the stage for Zoro's test of his growth and development of learning to fight at range, which is culminating here as Ohm is a swordsman who uses a whip-like sword to extend its blade far longer than any normal sword and being able to attack from range. I don't think this is a spoiler because these were actually my thoughts at the time when I was reading this for the first time all those years back, but I knew for sure that Zoro was going to unleash a Santoryu version of the the Sanjurok Pondoho to be his finishing blow on Ohm. I mean, it's so clear as day that's what was being foreshadowed when he unleashed that move against Braham. And in the midst of all this, Nami and Aisa also inadvertently find their way to the battlefield as they're chased by the Shinpei now. But I always found this next moment so weird. So Wiper clearly cares for Aisa and shows concern for her by telling her to get away from the quote-unquote blue sea dweller, aka Nami. But then his solution to this problem is to fire the burn bazooka at both of them. And if it weren't for Gunfall saving them... They would have been both dead for sure. Like, even Isa mentions this. Like, why she yells at him. He's like, Wiper, you're a devil. And, like, what was Wiper trying to do here? It makes no freaking sense. I think this moment was just really clunky and just didn't really need to be there. As I can't, for the life of me, understand what Oda was trying to convey with this scene. Like, it really, like, all it does is tell us that Wiper doesn't care about Isa and he's just, like, very almost fanatically just hates everyone aside from any Shandians. Like to the point that he would risk Isa or even sacrifice Isa just to kill Nami. Like I, I don't really get that. But anyways, right after this moment though, all four of them, Nami, Isa, Gunfall, and Pierre get swallowed whole by the snake. And I think we all know what this means. They're going to eventually find and join Luffy inside the snake, which I can't wait for. And so yeah, the episode ends with Wiper and Zoro taking some devastating blows from Holy and Orm respectively and they are now kind of hurt so yeah that's where the episode leaves off on this cliffhanger all in all these episodes are pretty exciting with a lot of action and humor but most of all i really enjoyed the large amount of development robin got in these episodes as well as the cool moments zoro has and i can't wait to see the rest of the zoro versus ohm fight which we'll get into on the next episode but the next podcast will be taking a slight detour as i will be doing another ranking podcast this time next week which has been a long overdue thing as I will be ranking the ending themes. So please look forward to that. But yeah, if you enjoyed this, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or seeing some pictures of my manga collection. But yeah, um, no real spoiler section this time. So yeah, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.